I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas, here to bring you the season three recap, Michael. But even if it's a recap or if it's an episode-by-episode review, it doesn't bloody matter, does it? Because you can call us the front of the plane, because whether it's long or short, we are all business to begin with you can follow this podcast on social media twitter or instagram at podcast horseman please do get in touch lots of you have done for this episode as you always do with all of your questions and the like we'll get to those in just a bit or if you'd like to follow either of your hosts on this podcast well you're in luck because you can do just that on twitter you can follow me on twitter at it's adam nicholas or you can follow michael hamflet at Michael Hamflit and you can listen to this podcast through Apple Podcasts where we would love you to subscribe you can listen on Spotify where we would love you to follow you can listen on Acast where we'd also love you to subscribe and on Amazon Music and pretty much everywhere else that does podcasts at this point however it is that you choose to listen to them and as we've been talking about over season three um, if you want to get yourself on the Hollywood talk of fame if you'd like to leave us a five star review that'd be great you can say something nasty you can say something nice just leave some comments in there leave some words in there leave those five precious stars you will not only get read out on this show but you'll get your very own customized start on our hollywood talk of fame as i say for season three we've been doing retweets and we've been very very appreciative of those we've noticed a certain growth in the community this season we will be getting to your comments and questions and season three remarks later on in this recap i think that's enhanced by all the retweets that we've had that's great but as we said back to feedback for season four any reviews five stars and you'll get yourself a start on Hollywood Talk of Fame. There will not be one today, but that shall resume next week when we kick off season four. Indeed. So no stars this week, but lots of stars to come probably this week, actually, in the form of the ones I haven't done yet. The All mm. the ones for season three will undoubtedly be coming soon. I would like to give you a date for that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> because who knows what's going on these days. However, and who cares about time and space at the moment? It doesn't make any sense. However, you will also not be getting a not a Netflix synopsis for this episode because this isn't an episode. It's a whole season, and unfortunately, they don't have a synopsis for the whole season. But what they do have, Michael, is two lads who just love talking about this very sad horse, poor Jack Horseman, <laughs> uh, and we like to talk ourselves horse about that 
host. And for anybody who might just be joining us for the first time, or maybe you've kind of done this in a different way, because we obviously offer episode by episode reviews, but this is the part where we do a full season recap, as we've done for season one and two already. We're going to go through, as we do for the other episodes, talk about Bojack, talk about what he's done this season, talk about all of the characters that support him, and then we'll also follow that up with the best, the greatest hits even, of this season's Horsing Around, which is a part of this show where we normally go back and pick out all of our favourite funny bits, all of our favourite hidden details, small small meanings, small details, hidden <laughs> meanings, I should say, and little things within the episode that you might have missed. So, with that said, would you like to do the honours, Mr. Hamlet? Yeah, it obviously makes sense to start with Bojack. Typically, we would go with plot, but let's go with themes and through lines about season three, about what we've seen and learned and heard from Bojack this season. I would say it's all been about the promise of success and the catastrophe of failure. Those, to me, would sum up season three for Bojack. We started with him very much on the Oscar trail, or the Oscar trail. This was the uh, the constant thing that we were reminded of. It wasn't about winning an Oscar. It was just about getting his name on the sheet. It was just about the recognition that comes with being an Oscar nominee. The elevated status that gives anyone that gets to that level that has perhaps never been amongst those actors before. Um, it wasn't always dwelled upon uh, by Bojack or by any of the characters what exactly that recognition truly represented. In fact, Bojack was dealing with the guilt of the fact that he didn't technically even feature in his own film, Secretary. We learned that at the back end of season two, he'd been replaced by a digital version of him uh, using the modern technology because he'd obviously disappeared off to cause all sorts of problems in his personal life and the film was finished without him. So not only was on, the, on this awards trail, he was on it as a bit of a fraud, but he had the machine behind him like never before. We were introduced to Anna Sponacopita, his agent, an agent to the stars, an agent that kind of has a guaranteed hit rate of Oscar nominee success. So she was just seeing him as another one of her projects, things of that nature. And then as we delve deeper and deeper into that world and Bojack became some of the things that were promised to him, the gulf in problems he could cause got wider and wider and wider. So when he was a, a small-time actor trying to find the next job on from a sitcom, it was as if there was only so much damage he could do. But the more his star rose, the darker and deeper the damage he could create suddenly became, as we saw, by the desperate end to his life in the season. Desperate end to his life, I hope. It's not <laughs> the end of his... <laughs> desperate, end to, desperate end to his season and indeed his personal life. <laughs> well, that's it. That's it for three Thanks very much for listening. Yeah. We'll see you later. <laughs> That's a recap, folks. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think we can give this spoiler away. He won't be dead at the end of this season recap. Yeah. Just for anybody who's had a massive heart attack <laughs> there, that Michael might have ruined something for them. He hasn't, I swear. But brilliantly, uh, I think you've kind of touched perfectly on what this season is. Like, we know from the very beginning, or certainly from the end of season two, when we see... Do you remember we finished with that amazing scene at the end of season two where Bojack is lying on his back, looking up at the sky as he's trying to go for a run again and it's just too hard. And the baboon says to him, like, it gets easier. You've got to do it every day, but it gets easier. And he decides then to kind of say, OK, and he wants to accept this, even though he knows that he's not really in this film. There's not much else he can do at this point. Life's pretty bad. He's made some pretty poor decisions. <laughs> so the one thing he's going to, put his energies into is trying to be better on this pursuit to the Oscar that he's obviously that he's being put forward for even though he was never actually in the film uh, so we were sceptical weren't we when we knew the season was beginning because 
knowing Bojack, he's absolutely crap, basically, at, at, <laughs> most, at most things that he does. And this seemed like him maybe, he's committing to it, which was a positive thing, but also he's technically committing to a life of being a fraud, which mm. would end up resulting in potentially personal gain. It's hard because it felt like progress, but also we knew how empty it was for him when he was holding that Golden Globe back in season <laughs> one. And this didn't feel like like it was going to end well, even though he was making positive choices. Did that make sense? Yeah, no, it's it kind of, I think the first half of the season wrong foots you slightly because as much as you know, Bojack, as you said, from lessons that we've already learned from watching him like struggle on through various awards and various other projects in his life, and indeed very early in the season when we've got something like Fish Out of Water and Majestic Magnificent episode for myriad of reasons, but certainly one of the biggest being his sudden understanding that he needs to like reconnect personally with people. Kelsey Jannings is, of course, the big chase in that particular one and how he reunites your family and all of these sort of things while he's supposed to be on technically a work trip. But for the most part, you are diverted almost into believing Bojack's chase. You're diverted as a viewer into just accepting what he accepts, which is the biggest thing that he can possibly do is secure this Oscar nomination. That is the most important thing. That is the driver. That's the thing that's got gravity and weight and then when that's taken away by the end, it's so quick how you realise it was so meaningless. What appeared important for the better part of, what, eight or nine episodes mm. couldn't be more meaningless. And then by the devastation of episode 11, you realise that it never meant anything at all compared to the connections that we make, the humans that we interact with. Bojack is constantly stifling that lesson that he's learned on more than one occasion. He's constantly putting a thumb on that. And I think by Bojack, the character doing that, the show tries to make us do it too. By Bojack being focused, sort of focused, professionally for the first time, it's almost like you were fooled into wanting, a, wanting him to keep the train on the tracks, even though by the end you realise it wasn't a train, it was, I don't know, a car that Fred Flintstone controls with his feet. It was really, really sort of hollow, and it, had, it was baseless. There you go. I brought that metaphor back together. It was completely baseless, <laughs> and people are dying, or people's lives have been grossly affected. And that will always be the stuff that matters more than awards that you don't deserve. So yabba dabba, do you think it ended well for him, <laughs> Michael? Is that what you? Is that? <laughs> well, I, I mean, no. I really, I really appreciate that wordplay. Uh, uh, it, it couldn't have ended. It couldn't have ended worse to answer that yes, question. Yes. But again, if it's still about learning lessons, how harsh does the lesson have to be before he learns it? And maybe huge picture maybe it did end well enormous picture every little picture in between minging awful i'll have to be honest that was just purely for the yabba dabba do pull but <laughs> I, I like that you went for it anyway and i just think the thing that they do so brilliantly is like and i guess if if you had been watching this in real time obviously there would have been an actual gap between season two and season three so you obviously would have had to wait for like a year or whatever they do a fantastic job of like making us, as you said, we are Bojack in the sense that they force us to bury down. Like He has a bunch of shiny keys at the very start of the season. <laughs> it's like, look at all these things. And because it's Bojack and because we have that weird connection with him at this point, even though we know he's an absolute piece of shit, like we still, we still get caught up and wanting him to do, maybe if he succeeds, it'll make him better as a person and he'll start and learn some lessons. But they bury everything to do with the end of season two, the episode 11 in particular of season two, obviously, where we have the, well, I'd say the close encounter with Penny, Bojack essentially doing the worst thing he ever does, 
and almost sleeping with Charlotte's daughter. They do an amazing job of burying that in our heads as much as they do his. And it's such a great device that to make you feel exactly the way the horse does. We just get, we put the blinkers on as he has. We go straight forward, forward motion, forward motion. But as this show has shown us already, just in the three seasons we've watched it, you can't bury anything. It will come back. It will always come back in some way, shape or form. And as much as we kind of got caught up in the chase for something shiny and new, like we should have really guessed that unless you've properly deal with these things, which is, of course, the fantastic continuing commentary they have on mental health, yeah, like it, you won't resolve anything and mm. it will come back. And whether it comes back in the way you think it is or whether it comes back in something a whole lot worse somehow, it's going to be back. It's funny that you mentioned about putting the blinkers on and indeed coming back because something we never see but, but would be remiss in if we didn't talk about from season three is the Bojack Horseman show. Um, a fascinating addition to the character that hasn't needed to be brought up until now but figures like really, really well and quite deeply into the plot of season three. The Bojack Horseman show, a 2007 uh, TV pilot that, of course, goes horribly wrong for Bojack. Um, it is presented to us, the viewer, effectively like a monster from a horror movie. We never get to see it. We only get to visualise just how bad it can possibly be based on the clues we're given from the bits of the script we get to hear, from the bits of the story, the horrendous cocaine-addled night of creativity that they believe to be going on when they're creating the show, the disastrous pilot, the awful ratings, all these awful clues that what you're watching is a total disaster, but something you never get to see, so something you can only imagine. What's What's specifically great for me about the introduction of this into season three is not just that it happens and it figures into the plot in so many different ways, but that for all this time, we've only ever read Bojack as a failed uh, early 90s sitcom star, not the failed early 90s sitcom star that tried an edgy mid-2000s comeback, because that's even worse. Like that, again, we've always compared him to, and obviously they're, they're different figures for different reasons, but you're always made to think of the Cosby show, for example, or one of those great all-American sitcoms of a certain period of time, what you then have to do is imagine those same sitcom stars or those same pop stars that tried to get edgy, that tried to get sweary and leery to completely reframe the narrative in the mid-2000s, and they've just embarrassed themselves even worse than just being like welcome figures, welcome warm nostalgic relics. They instead decide to become cool. Bojack now has that on his like criminal rap sheet as well. It feels like that kind of weird warped change. You're just so desperate to shed the skin of the one thing that mm. they end up doing something in the complete opposite direction. The thing that always sh- sh- like cuts through the whole time you were talking there about it, all I was thinking about was, what's up, bitches? <laughs> <laughs> and then Bojack taking a steaming dump on a VHS copy <laughs> of, of Horsing Around, which was literally the... The brainchild of two like heavily, heavily drugged up men who, <laughs> with all this privilege, who just had nobody to check them whatsoever. How many times that's probably happened in real life, as we alluded to in the episode review, where two guys got into a room and just thought, we're the greatest writers of our generation. Let's just do this stuff. Nobody's going to stop us. And everyone's just going to say yes, because of course they are. That's It's men in Hollywood. Of course they're going to say yes. And then ultimately, finally, finally, someone gets like some comeuppance in that department because how many times have we seen it go the other way 
Quentin Tarantulino's what was it monthly curated box of snacks <laughs> that we get that the film is in. It, it just, it's all all this stuff all the time. Men just do stupid stuff, and it doesn't ever bite them in the arse that much in Hollywood. At least something cycles it back out, and they all end up doing better off usually. But this is like that one thing, as you said, that really is is it's the big mark. Where it's like this is the bad thing that you did that the whole world knows about, not just what a few people in New Mexico know about. <laughs> it's there's such a great dramatic irony as well to the fact that this show that we are told constantly is a complete disaster, uh, is piss funny to talk yeah. about, to watch the characters interact about. It remains not just like a quite important emotional crutch for Bojack, but also the source of some of the best jokes this season. As you say, what a what a bitch is the. Like, just the, the crude gags, that fabulous reference to how they thought it was inspired to have the characters talk to the camera, uh, because, again, it speaks to how a lot of shows were doing it and how it was becoming an overused trope. Um, the use of Sarah Lynn as a guest star and the impact that has on their relationship that we see through a flashback. There's just so much meat on the bone that is hilarious to go back and revisit. And, again, as I say, stuff that we never get to see play out in the season. We never... Television, not once... Is focused on while the Bojack Horseman mm. show is on. We can even hear bits of it being broadcast to Bojack and all of his friends, and yet we know it to be this hilarious disaster. It's just something so huge that it's as if the writers have kept this a secret to unleash it at the exact right time. Um, to almost, I think, derail our perception of Bojack. Just when we think that he really is going to get it together enough to get his nomination, we are shown something that might have a detrimental effect all these years later. This was made in, well, sort of released in 2016. So there's only nine years difference between the airing of the Bojack Horseman show and Bojack potentially getting nominated for Secretariat. And nine years is not that long a time. It's not long enough for people, especially not with the sort of the the rise of the internet within that sort of like early 2000s period for people to forget about the Bojack Horseman show. And I like that as you shed in his skin is perfect. An attempt to shed his skin from that night your sitcom has now become an attempt to shed his skin from this awful vanity project that he farted out when nobody really wanted it. Yeah, and I think it also adds to the fact that when we first meet him, he's like super, super depressed horse, doesn't he? Like mm. who is refusing pretty much refusing to leave his house, doesn't want to take any jobs in Hollywood anymore. And I think it gives you like the layout we have initially is he's uh, washed up star from an, the 90s sitcom horsing around but then we find this out and I feel like it adds another layer of sympathy to Bojack almost because you think he just wanted to get out of that like what was the next thing in his career he wanted to wanted to move on wanted to progress as you say wanted to shed his skin and change that goes horribly wrong for him in a massively public way and he sort of becomes a recluse again and I'm you can't help but feel they put that in there because it gives us a little bit of pathos for Bojack but then unfortunately if that ever happens you should know that there's another part of that seesaw where they're like well we need to put some weight on this end because we are about to drop a goddamn handle on the other side and he, <laughs> and he better be ready for it so and I think it does that quite well and I think the only person who I can think who actually even remotely thinks that this show has anything to offer whatsoever is Emily of course Todd's mm. Todd's I don't know what very good friend from way back when who ex girlfriend we, I guess ex like, well, yeah ex girlfriend yeah. to a certain extent yeah who we get we get a little bit more of in this season obviously you know I'm sure we'll get more into that when it comes to Todd later on but she's the only one who says like she enjoys it <laughs> but then very quickly says 
but I need you to understand that I enjoyed it because it was so bad. <laughs> yeah. It was like an ironic enjoyment of the show. And she really spends ages hammering it home to him. Like that little reminder that even at that point, when I think he's starting to get a bit of success in the limelight of, you know, winning some awards and, and heading towards that, the peak, the end of the Oscar uh, road, she's like, I just need to bring you back down, by the way, <laughs> based on that thing he did in 2007. She's telling him he's made something that is perfect for one of those bad movie nights that yeah. people have. Yeah. Um, and he didn't meet... It's not like something that was done by design as well. No. As some people do try to make those. On his um, career, I guess, this feels as good a way to wrap our bit on Bojack as much as it did Bojack's season. This is the first time, as we come to the end of season three, uh, that Bojack doesn't appear to have a straightforward next career move. So at the end of season one, obviously it was going into the production of Secretariat, the thing he believed he was born to make as an actor. He'd done horsing around, but, you know, it wasn't Ibsen. So this was the film he was destined to do when he was a little Bojack watching Secretariat on those talk shows. Um, and then obviously into season three, we go, the film is made and he goes on to the Oscar trail and we assume a raft of opportunities that will come from now becoming a made man in Hollywood. That appears to be the case, except for in the episode where all of those things fall apart around him. I believe it's episode nine, best thing that ever happened. You can go back and listen to that in the reviews where um, he wants to do Kelsey Janin's Flight of the Pegasus. Um, while... the episode, it'll be the episode, I think it's, is it not the episode before that? Uh, no, yeah. you might be right. Yes, because there's the David Pincher project, the project at the same time. That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. So that all of a sudden, this is what is what should happen to the traditional, stereotypical Oscar-nominated actor. Suddenly, roles of every different kind. There's, he can be doing one for the money and two for the show if he wants, because they're all coming his way. And then gradually, that plate-spinning exercise fails because he fails the people around him. He fails Princess Carolyn, who subsequently kind of fails him in return. All the opportunities dissolve. He goes off the rails off the back of the Oscar nomination not happening because that has, of course, probably relegated him back to a league below. So he's back amongst the chasing pack looking for that next secretary, which he is yet to find. And then that, like, ultimately results in the death of Sarah Lynn because it's that enormous bender that he wants to go on and he finds the in his mind the best person to do that with that leads to an event so profound and powerful in his life that he doesn't even know what's next kind of the last thing we get from bojack in this season is what's going to come forth in his career what opportunity is going to fall into his lap or what opportunity is going to chase that that gorgeous um end scene where he finds the wild horses just keep him running and seems to aspire to be more like them comes after he's had to leave this set of Ethan around because he just can't do that. The implication being that it cuts way too close to home in the in the shadow, I guess, in the spectre of Sarah Lynn's death. So it's unknown at this point if wanting to even stay in Hollywood is even on the agenda for Bojack when, yes, it's given him all of these advantages in his life, but at the same time, it seems to have taken just as much away from him from a personal point of view. Yeah, this would have really get... By the end of this season, he's left with not a great deal. Having like spent a lot of the season as well, like getting so caught up in the Oscar nomination stuff and the sort of the pursuit, the road to that, where he's just he kind of cuts out all of his close friends along the way. We get specific, like very specific instances where he sort of shuts down Diane and 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 berates her for the life that mm. she's living, completely ignoring the fact that she's had one of the most difficult times probably out of most of the characters in there. Just the same with Princess Carolyn, the point where, yes, all right, she does also get caught up in the power of it all, uh, running her agency. Um, 
But ultimately, he ends up firing her and not giving her that second chance, despite the fact she's done so many things for him over all the years. It's just a mess. It's a real mess. And it's all because he's so caught up in the world of Hollywood. And he's literally like, we talk about the tar of Hollywood on, on many different occasions. This is him. He has tried to literally put his goggles on, put his flippers on and go straight into the, the tar of Hollywood and just see if he can hang. And it really hasn't worked out for him in the past. And would you believe it? It doesn't work out for him again this time round to the point where when he's left there at the end of the season, standing, staring out at a bunch of horses who, from what we can gather, have nothing else other than the clothes on the back and the company of each other, but they're all together and they're going towards a joint goal, it seems. Something he doesn't have at this point. That feels like as nice a segue as we're going to get to get on to Todd this season. This was a huge turning point for Todd and Bojack's relationship, more so than any other. We talked in season one and in season two of the way in which Bojack has mistreated Todd or has screwed Todd over, or has done things quietly in the background that have made Todd's life difficult, or even have just, you know, engaged in activities that have been more for him and for the preservation of his relationship with Todd that might be at Todd's expense. Mm. Um, this year, through a mixture of Todd gaining financial independence and almost learning to accept that Bojack can't change, um, showing that his compassion has a limit and his empathy has a limit, Bojack appears to have pushed Todd to breaking point. We get, of course, that that big F-bomb, um, the only full one of the season, and we'll get to that split one later in the review, um, the only full F-bomb of the season is gorgeously delivered by Todd after he's uh, gone through everything that's wrong in the relationship with Bojack, everything that is wrong with Bojack himself, how Bojack can no longer make excuses. And again, uh, go back through, you can find that complete speech in the episode that features that, I believe it's episode 10. Um, and that ends simply with Todd saying, fuck, man, there's nothing more to say. And that there's nothing more to say has kind of closed off the season for Todd and Bojack. It is for the first time some sort of ending. Now, look, this is a spoiler-free podcast, but we're heading into season four. It's very likely that the characters will interact, but this is the first time that one or the other has tried to draw a thick black line in their relationship. And certainly we don't know what that might how that might work out for Todd, but we can infer that that's a bad thing for Bojack. Todd was a, a nice, steady presence in his life, and it's something else he's lost. And it's on him. It's totally on him. And literally, as you have quite succinctly put there, in the entire episode called it's you, where we are led to believe that it's all about the fact that Bojack has been selected to win the Oscar. It's you, congratulations, you're the winner. It couldn't be further from that. It, it's you coming from Todd's big, big monologue at the end where he's talking to Bojack and basically, finally, the, the one character who's probably the most passive character in the whole show, the least, the least likely to engage in a bunch of conflict, mm. finds himself where he doesn't have a choice anymore. And I think he says to Bojack something along the lines of, like, it's you. Like, it's not the shitty things that happen to you when you're a kid. It's not the drinking. It's not the drugs. It's not all this other stuff. It's just you. Like, you can't just keep doing shitty things and just blame it on your environment or whatever. Obviously, paraphrasing there. but And it's just, it's such a hammer. Like, we don't get anything like this from Todd ever. And the fact that he's the one delivering this speech so passionately, and I think it's really the fact that it ends on such a flat note of Todd just like 
giving you the like saddest, most deflated F-bomb you could possibly ask for, just kind of highlights the real sadness of it, because Todd and Bojack, whether it's been for good or for better, for worse rather, have, and especially after the lovely end to last season where Bojack ends up saving Todd and they have mm-hmm. that lovely best friend moment, it's like gone for all intents and purposes. That bubble has been burst. And yet, in losing Bojack, right at the very, very end of the season, Todd maybe is beginning to find himself. We are given Emily... Uh, a figure from Todd's past that we see first through a 2007 uh, flashback where they are appear to be in a relationship, boyfriend and girlfriend, something along those lines, um, because she is brought into the present day where she ultimately sleeps with Bojack. It's just another one of Bojack's strikes against for Todd um, and another one of the things that comes between them ultimately. Um, but in doing so, it makes Todd reflect on his relationship with Emily, who still holds a candle for Todd, but then realises that he maybe doesn't feel the same about her. Um, she kind of asks him a few more probing questions again, right at the very end in the uh, in the season finale. Um, he doesn't think he's gay, but he doesn't think he's straight either. Um, Emily, ever the supportive friend versus the difficult figure that Bojack has been in his life, simply tells him that that's okay. But it's given him something completely new to think about. And again, after so much, I don't want to say daft and reduced Todd's plot lines because they're not daft in the sense that we might refer to a sitcom C-plot as daft. They are daft by design. They are daft with intent. They are so stupid that they could only possibly work in the weird and wonderful world that Hollywood is. Um, Todd's stories have already been so out there. Like the man formed his own Disneyland, then found himself sued by the real Disneyland, only to find out that the real Disneyland had a spelling error in, so we could keep it that way. He set up a cab company designed to protect women that ended up becoming one that pimped them out. This is Todd's life we think, and yet from the very, very silly, we land on something incredibly serious in Todd not assessing if he's gay or straight or indeed not knowing. Um, it broadens Todd's horizons as a character and indeed gives the show a direction to go in that perhaps no animated comedy, in inverted commas, has ever gone before. This sort of suggests quite a brave arc for Todd's character away from the silliness and the frippery of the the previous three seasons. It certainly does, and I think I think that I mean I would I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that Todd becomes a millionaire, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this season, and immediately loses eight million dollars by <laughs> accidentally tipping the waitress all eight million dollars on top of his twelve dollar meal or whatever it is. But I think you touched on something brilliantly here, is that. Uh, I think you mentioned it as well when we did the episode review for the season finale where Todd, in a moment where Todd realises he's lost all of this money by being stupid and this accidental force, an absolute force, it comes off the back of him potentially hinting at this idea that he might have to figure out who and what he is romantically. We've seen there's been a lot of like flirting and hinting with the idea that he and Emily could have this thing going on. But in this moment, it's just two people who like spending time together and Todd isn't really sure what he is. And he says, I, I believe he says he's nothing at this point. And when he says he's nothing, he's never looked happier in his whole life. He starts laughing. He kind of laughs off the fact he's lost the money. And he's excited to understand what it's going to be all about. Whereas when he gets the money and is given the $8 million, which is his third of Cabra Cadabra, obviously when they sell the cab company, kind of jokes, oh, who knows what kind of capers I'm going to get into, but he doesn't seem settled or anything. He's not that blown away by it. 
But when he gets this idea that he might be nothing, he never he's never looked more at home and more comfortable. Mm, it's it's just yeah, that I think that's it. The the idea that the character that once started as somebody living on somebody's couch was perhaps never destined to be rich, or certainly not know what to do with that wealth, as we literally see when he writes down seven figures on a tip. Um, and it's that that I think retains Todd's warmth in a, a season where it goes ice cold by the end for virtually every single plot point. It's Todd's warmth that remains. Um, we should probably, I suppose, segue from Todd to his PB living partner, Mr. Peanut Butter, and his partner, Diane. It's very much a season where those two characters, more so than their separate endeavours this season, were brought back together for better and worse. Um, at the start of the season, um, Diane is still struggling as a professional tweeter, a professional Instagram representative, and um, working for Princess Carolyn's agency. And then Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter still haven't figured out the issue in their marriage. And then Diane finds out that she is pregnant. That becomes the most significant plot point at the start of the season for the two of them before they decide to uh, have an abortion. It's something they can agree on, which is something, I guess, for a couple that are not agreeing on much anymore. Um, it's very, very Bojack Horseman for that to pick that exact topic, that they can have these very deep conversations over and to try and find a, a new level in the marriage with each other. But all is still not fine in the peanut butter house they are trying they are they are working at a marriage and that's quite a, a positive representation of the realities of a marriage not least one that is affected by all of hollywood's tar as we refer to of all the, the ills that may encounter them um but things still aren't right and there are still uneasy feelings that constantly go unsaid between the pair of them um it doesn't make it an easy watch seeing these two together this season from the very beginning of this season we get the two of them who are sort of reaffirming each other based on the counselling they've had. They can, it's all very much like counselling speak of, you know, I hear you, I reaffirm you, I would like you to know this and that. And we kind of reach this point where you can tell that while that is all lovely and great, it's yeah. very much on a wire, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. very much on a wire and a balancing act. And the second we get a hint of that not going the way they needed to, we see like the little bursts of anger from Mr. Peanut Butter, which we've not really seen too mm. much to this point. He kind of goes full toxic masculinity at times, even if you can really understand where he's coming from because of how much how much that must have taken a toll. And let's not forget, Diane disappeared for like months the previous yeah. season, and they're still kind of processing that, even though she had fine fine reason in our own right because she had the worst time ever <laughs> as you can imagine as as always with this show there are layers to this but unfortunately that doesn't help them when they're trying to get the joint goal of being good at marriage which even people who are good at marriage will tell you is no mean feat it's an anger that mr peanut butter exhibits that we've only ever seen him exhibit towards his ex-wives in flashbacks and i think that's the most telling thing here he is Becoming, in flashes, the peanut butter that was in a marriage that wasn't working. Yeah. And he's becoming that again in the one that, obviously, we as fans of the show and as these two characters want this marriage to succeed, want them to, to get through the problems they're getting together. That tension that you refer to is pulled at and pulled at and pulled at throughout the course of the season. And then is magnificently kind of like pulled at in opposite directions at the very, very end. Um, Diane is offered a job, an escape from unemployment for one thing, and a job that might actually reaffirm her ability as a writer when she uh, you know, secures a job at the very end of the season at a website called Girl Crush, which 
Sounds silly, but is in fact perhaps going to give her the freedom to write in the way she wants. The caveat of accepting that job is that she is asked by the uh, the owner of Girl Crew, she was Ralph Stilton's sister, we will get on to Ralph Stilton shortly, um, if she could write about her husband if he found himself in a, a problematic position, shall we say. Uh, we never see Diane say yes. We are given the yes by the reveal of Mr. Peter Button saying, oh, brilliant, you got the job. And then, you know, everything's fine as long as nothing problematic comes Mr. Peanut Butter's way, at which point, knock at the door, he's given an invite to become the governor of California. There is probably no greater way to have somebody's life splashed out into the world than an entry into politics. And that is what we're given as the sort of the, the final point for their relationship in season three, uh, where they are together. They're having an evening in, they're clinking glasses. Things couldn't be better. And yet what neither knows about the other is that there are these two opposing forces that cannot possibly coexist. They get that knock at the door, Michael. And unfortunately, it's not pizza. They, re <laughs> they really want it to be pizza, but sadly, it's not. And I think how, how important is it that when Mr. Peanut Butter gets the call to arms to potentially go and run for governor, coming off the back, we should point out, of Mr. Peanut Butter saving the world in this season. <laughs> yeah. Or certainly saving the underwater Pacific Ocean City. Was that what it's called? Pacific Ocean City? Pacific Ocean City. Um, <laughs> and he's getting loads of fan mail at this point, at the end of this season. He's a hero. Everybody mm. loves him. And that is why he gets selected. But the knock at the door, Michael, comes from one of his ex-wives, as you mentioned previously. And it was just like you've got this couple who might finally be just getting themselves on track and Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter, even though we've got that smoke and gun that hasn't gone off yet of, is Diane prepared to write about her husband? Well, that might might that might that work, but if it doesn't, he has a knock on the door, from, <laughs> a reminder from the past to tell you this is what ends up happening to the ex-wives of Mr. Peanut Butter. Um, Diane's role at Girl Cruise was given to her by uh, Stefani Stilton, the sister of Ralph Stilton, who I think brings us nicely onto Princess Carolyn. He is the he's Princess Carolyn's boyfriend as this season ends. Um, it's been a season of massive, massive change and yet no change at all for Princess Carolyn. Um, at the start of the season, obviously, having seemingly gone to live the dream life uh, with Rudy Baker Rabitowicz, setting up their own agency, he has left her in the sh to the point where she has to set up her own agency, but is making, broadly speaking, a success of it, thanks, obviously, to Bojack's potential success as an Oscar nominee. It's hard work, it's a hard life, but she appears to be thriving in it. She appears to be getting a little bit more of what she needs out of doing things herself rather than working for an agency. It's never easy working with Bojack. We get, of course, a fabulous episode where after everything has started to go wrong for Bojack, he sacks her as as his agent and gives us just a tremendous deep dive into who Princess Carolyn is as a character, what she'll be willing to or what she should do in spite of her better interests, the things that she does when she shouldn't do those things. And that does take us to the end of the season where she has set up what at first appears to be the conventional and, for the want of a better phrase, nice relationship with Ralph Stilton. It has started to show holes, indeed, like a piece of cheese. Um, we have started to see holes in that relationship through a little bit of possessiveness from Ralph. We learn that he's the um, one of the heirs to the Stilton Hotel family fortune, implying that she might not really need to work if he wanted to, say, have her start a family with him, for example, um, which he's dropped into conversation. Uh, it's all just a little bit on edge for her. Professionally, things are going well, but could just blow back in her face at any given moment. The relationship seems good, but even she has a concerns of if Ralph is the right guy for her. It is great 
that from when she it goes from being an agent to having to sell the agency to becoming a manager and setting up a management company that is effectively the same, Judah remains the still point in her turning world. He continues to be this figure in Princess Carolyn's life that by literally managing her days in that diary just about keeps everything on track for her. But in every other aspect, it's really hard to know what progress she's made across the season. It's such a roller coaster this one for Carolyn because we get like ultimately probably what she needed in terms of like a wake up call because mm. I feel like this whole the her moving to do the agency by herself huge move massive move and such an empowering one for a, a, a female character in Hollywood as we've been shown many times they don't tend to get a good run of it so this was like <laughs> a really positive start. Which we should have known, really, shouldn't we? We should have known from the very beginning. All the signs were there, all the flags, but maybe we just didn't see them, as Wanda said, because when you got those rose-tinted glasses on, Michael, <laughs> they just look like flags, those red flags. But she ends up getting so caught up, she tries to get Bojack this amazing deal where he can have his cake and eat it. But ultimately, in that amazing episode where uh, Ruda Bega and uh, Vanessa Gecko are framed as the actual mm. good guys for an episode. Brilliant episode, that is. And, like... That whole thing, which like episode season three, episode eight, that is, that whole moment shows us the dark side of Hollywood and the dark side that's definitely there within Carolyn, I think, in terms of she pushes too hard and it backfires spectacularly. And because this whole relationship she has with Bojack is very much Bojack-centric. And if things go wrong, she's going to find out about it. And she does. And it, I think ultimately it actually might be the episode where it is titled the best thing that ever—it's the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> I think actually getting fired by Bojack might end up being the best thing that ever happens to her because, for for better or for worse, she ends up having a bit of time with Ralph Stilton, and you know they find this nice relationship, albeit with some potential holes, as I've mentioned, but you know not quite enough yet to be a big auto moment. But then that helps her discover that maybe she was looking in the wrong area, Michael. Maybe she shouldn't be trying to do an agency. Maybe she should be trying to do a <laughs> management company instead. It's, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the best thing that ever happened episode. Like that, for the first time, sort of represented a certain element of closure in the relationship between Bojack and Princess Carolyn. They've, we've seen through like several different flashbacks from different periods of time how long Bojack has effectively kept Princess Carolyn on the hook because she loves him. Mm. So yeah. their work relationship has forced a bond. And then when he's wanted, it's moved into personal as well. But that's been on, off, on, off, on, off. That does awful things to Princess Carolyn's emotional mindset and has probably no doubt held back her career because of a loyalty that she feels to Bojack. When that is taken from her, rather than her being able to take it herself, along with delivering some just fabulous gags across the episode, um, her coming to terms with that is not something we've needed to see. So it's taken as read that she's actually just come to terms with it. I think in the very last episode of the season, well, in fact, yes, because of the massive cliffhanger, that, that teenage girl that for some reason is trying to get in touch with Bojack, um, she's very calm and collected when she says to Judah, tell him, tell her I can't help. Yeah. So for the first time, had that teenage girl rang Princess Carolyn at any point in the past several years, she would have got through to Bojack straight away. She would have been, like, that would have been the main line of communication for Bojack Horseman. And yet, right now, we find Princess Carolyn, as we've said with Todd, uh, never more distant from him. And you get that amazing moment as well, I say amazing, during a really horrible moment, I guess, in season three, episode 11, where Bojack is 
on the path to redemption. Well, he's not really, is he? He goes to that AA meeting with Sarah Lynn. And we get this commentary, this constant commentary where they're saying, like, let's just, if you do some bad things, all you got to do is make amends. And it's fine. You can restart it. But they're on that journey. He and um, Sarah Lynn, all the flashbacks and blackouts are happening. And then we end up at Princess Carolyn's door. And he's just shouting it in the void. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And she doesn't even say a word. Not a word to him. Like, most of Princess Carolyn's stuff happens off screen, so we don't actually get to see it. But what we do get to see is her with a look of, just a look of pity, like mm-hmm. a look of pity, but also a, like a firm look of, I don't need this anymore. This isn't something I need. But I do think, now that I've just thought about this, because you mentioned it and it's just popped out of my head, who's the person who turns her away at that point? It's Ralph, isn't it? It is, yeah. What an additional little layer that is, because at one point it looks like he's being comforting, but after seeing those potential holes, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it's, come on, dear, you are in the house with me now. This is Let's not talk to that man out there, which I've never looked at it like that before. <laughs> they give you one episode to think that Ralph is the wholesome, happy ending for Princess Carolyn before they just start peppering it with a few little details that you maybe don't want to admit might be out there in their relationship. Um, just before we move on to the best collection uh, from yourself this season... I just want to comment on season three overall. Bojack, um, for a season that for so long was like the theme was awards and praise, uh, Bojack Horseman, the TV show, went without awards, as it so often did. A couple of nominations here and there, but robbed criminally, as it always is. Um, As is often the case with some of the great shows when they're hitting season three, think of The American Office, of The The Wire, of The Sopranos, uh, of even Lost when it was still operating at that like real elite level before that went off a cliff. Season three is just when so many different stories and characters converge, where the writing feels as tight as it ever has, where the actors are super comfortable in their roles. And I think there's no exception here with Bojack Horseman. There are so many episodes um, that feel like they could be nominated for award seasons. There are so many episodes that are just so full of pathos and whether it be the commentary on mental health, whether it be some of the best and sharpest gags of the series overall so far, I just feel like season three has been such a feast. If you think about how by episode three, um, Bojack kills and how the heroine in Bojack kills plays into an episode where Bojack kills in the darkest and most horrible of ways with Sarah Lynn in episode 11, the infamous Uh, episode 11 of course possibly the most infamous episode 11 we've encountered thus far and then those coming in the same season as something like fish out of water or it's you um i of course want everybody to continue to listen and subscribing to bojack horseman uh, podcast horseman as we go along because season four five and six are absolutely fabulous and absolutely tremendous and that isn't to say that maybe season three found a new level of perfection that the show hadn't yet. It like broke through a number of different glass ceilings that appeared built at the end of season two that you didn't think possible. Truly like a remarkable, remarkable 12 episode run. One of the greats, I think, in television. You could call it, Michael, a powerhouse of a season. <laughs> you really could. You and, really somebody could. Should. and somebody sure. should. I don't think anybody has to this point, but you, <laughs> you someone should be calling it just that. And I mean, just to piggyback off that right before we move on, I think you're absolutely right. We Bojack's Horseman season one is good. Bojack Horseman season two is better. And Bojack Horseman season three, for me, is the show when you start to realise they are doing so much more, like so much more. The commentary on such vast and important topics that no other show tends to want to go near in such depth that they do. The 
creativity, man. The the idea that someone said, how do we do an entire episode of a TV show where there's no dialogue? It's mm-hmm. just it's just a beautiful soundscape that we create and use the visuals to tell the story. I mean, that for me, it, it, that's, we've said it a couple of times, that's probably an episode which wouldn't justify the show Bojack Horseman to somebody if you were trying to get somebody in new, but you would show them it as a thing of beauty, a masterpiece, a piece of art that is like so good in a representation of the standard the show aspires to, even if it would miss out all of the kind of humour that would be added to that with the dialogue that comes within an episode. So, I mean, they've set the bar hugely high and they know what they're doing. They build this season so well. And there's never a moment where they get the the balance wrong either. It's the the level of seriousness throughout throughout the season is always counterbalanced by some, like some hilarious laugh out loud, like side splittingly funny moments, even if they're just quick gags, even if they're like long running bits, they get the balance perfect. And obviously I think everybody will remember this season for episode 11 because it hits you harder than most. And just when you thought Bojack Horseman couldn't do something worse than the absolute atrocities committed in season two, episode 11, we get this. And that for me is what takes it to the next level. But we both actually said at the time, that there was so many different episodes throughout this season where it could have been that episode where we went, actually, yeah. this one's better than I remember it being. This one is a landmark episode, or this one is. They are just littered throughout this season, and you're absolutely right. But that is all of the serious, I guess, serious stuff yeah. to do with this this season three recap so far. Let's go back and do some horsing around, shall we? This yeah, is the please. part of the episode where we go back normally and go through the episode for all of the funny bits you might have missed all the small details all the hidden meanings and all of the easter eggs throughout the episode but we're doing that for all 10 episodes so i'm just going to list all of them now from top to bottom (laughs) no of course we're not going to do that that would be way too long so what we do is we pick the one favorite the one standout from each episode of the season that either it usually is the one that popped me stupid made me laugh so hard i nearly did a poo that kind of funny those are the things that we're looking for, or the really well-crafted things in there that are just so brilliantly done, so well-layered that you wouldn't believe it if someone told you it was going to happen. Speaking of which, Michael, <laughs> let's go back to Season 3, Episode 1. And I don't think it'll come as any surprise that the thing that I loved most about this, the one detail that I picked up on, which initially would feel like a nothing, but at the end of the season feels like a whole big pile of something, <laughs> is in the hotel room in the very first episode of the season when Bojack is on the awards tour. He and uh, Anna Sponacopita and Todd in a suitcase turn up at a hotel room and on Bojack's wall is a picture of three horsemen running in the wild in the desert lands of wherever it might be, undisclosed location number one, and... It is basically a mirror image of what is going to happen at the very end of the season. The scene that is going to stop Bojack in his tracks and make him realise just how empty and unfulfilled he is in this life of chasing material objects and fame and fortune Mm. when these guys are just running in the desert and having a great time together, (laughs) we should point out. Amazing stuff. This show is better than the show you like, and this is the reason why. The audacity, again I'll say it, of Raphael Bob Waxberg to show us that in episode one, knowing full well he's going to deliver in season three, episode 12. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. From the really in-depth to the downright stupid, Michael, season three, 
episode two, I've picked one that I know is going to probably tickle you. At least I hope it does. It was a, the name of a store that absolutely had me in stitches when I first saw it because it was such a quick throwaway bit. The name of the store, Michael, is David Hasselhoff's Floor Burgers. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, when this comes about, this is one of those gags where we go through all of the, you know, like a row of shops. David Hasselhoff's Floor Burgers. <laughs> what does that even entail? I don't know. Floors, burgers, brilliant stuff. But I remember laughing extremely hard at that one. Season three, episode three is, of course, Bojack Kills, as you mentioned. Well, we're trying to figure out what's happened to this poor woman from Will from Will World who's died in the in the swimming pool. There's a whole mystery around it. As you recall, though, as Bojack and Diane go snooping and try to find out what's gone on here, they go to Cuddly Whiskers' house and they go out the back and find the whale face down in the pool, only to be confronted, Michael, by Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face, who has probably his best episode to date and that's saying a lot this is officer Miami fuzzy face who of course comes out with some of the best one-liners two-liners three-liners whatever you like <laughs> well he was on form in this episode as he turned up to find them both standing over this body he says and i i quote well 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 or should i say whale 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 kill a whale kill a whale that is or should i say killed whale <laughs> This is what I call black and white and dead all over. A <laughs> whale of a crime. <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's absolutely obscene. Oh. It's ridiculous. It's why we love Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face. He is everything from every episode of CSI, <laughs> wherever... 
put into one character. It's brilliant. Love that guy. Anyway, season three, episode four. This was a brilliant little tidbit inside the uh, Fish Out of Water episode. As you'll recall, Bojack is on a bus and there's a seahorse who gives birth, doesn't it? So he's mm. about to burst as Bojack sees him. And he passes Bojack the book, doesn't he? And the book is called What to Expect When You're a Male Seahorse Expecting, which is a thing, which <laughs> in itself is funny enough. But as we do a little bit more digging, you will obviously see that the writer of the book is Dr. Pippi Campus, which is a play on the Latin word hippocampus, which when translated means seahorse. Which so good. Is just, so good. The amount of detail they put into these things, just for people like you and me to nerd over, is absolutely wonderful. Thank God they did, otherwise we wouldn't have a podcast. So, <laughs> season three, episode five. I've got I've got one for this, and I've also got a little one just for you at the end. Okay. But season three, episode five, I just loved seeing the return, Michael, of the celebrity stealing club who we first see in season one, I believe mm, it is, yeah. when they go to Herb Kazaza's house. And Todd ends up getting knocked out (laughs) on the grass in that amazing uh, visual gag, the body comedy that we got outside. Just Todd on the lawn with his legs sticking out. is amazing. We see them in the background stealing uh, a painting from Alexi Brosofino's house. Uh, The painting is Gustav Klimt's The Kiss, which is, again, another lovely nod to some actual real-life art. But on top of that, Michael, I would be remiss, of course, if I didn't mention your favourite from this episode, Shitshow, of course, the brilliant <laughs> name Shitshow, who is is the character of basically all of Alexi Brosofino's mates are reminiscent of the Entourage cast, of course. And uh, Shitshow is essentially the, the turtle character from that, who is literally a turtle with the back backwards cap and all that. Um, and it's just fantastic. A brilliant, brilliant little... It's an easy gag, but it's a funny one. Yeah. And one that I know Michael Hamflett enjoys from top to bottom. Speaking of gags that Michael Hamflett enjoyed from top to bottom, season three, episode six is a nice, easy one. Ryan Seacrest getting mowed down by Bojack. <laughs> <laughs> or should I say a Ryan Seacrest type getting mowed down by Bojack in a limousine is absolutely incredibly funny, this. They've built up and earned this gag where we see Ryan, Ryan Seacrest type talking outside of a bunch of different awards. And on the th- I think it's the third time of asking, he just gets mowed down by this limousine. <laughs> Bojack, who's so caught up in his own stuff with Judge Clunas and all these pranks that he just absolutely mows him down. It's amazing. The noise he makes is sensational. Please do go back and look for that in I'm, season three. I'm not saying that it's okay, like that if people do bad things, they should get hit by a car. But they have built up this character that this is quite cathartic when he gets mowed down. That's like, Orion Seacrest kind of had this coming. Orion Seacrest type definitely had it coming. <laughs> and that is a limousine he needed to be hit in the face with, I think. We can all agree. Uh, season three, episode seven. This one's a good one. I enjoyed this one. Which you will recall is the episode where we meet the closer, Michael, who is the woman on the phone who's trying to convince Bojack not to get rid of his... Um, newspaper that keeps getting delivered outside of his house. And amazingly, on um, the closer's desk, we don't ever get to see the closer's face, we just get to see one arm and one hand with a ring on it, very reminiscent of Dr. Claw from the Inspector Gadget cartoon. But on her desk, we do see a glass case, and inside the glass case is the Blarney Stone, it says on a little um, bit of little plaque that's on that. And, of course, if you do a bit of digging for anybody who knows, they're stones, Michael. Um, <laughs> the Blarney Stone is a block of carboniferous limestone built into the battlements of Blarney Castle. Blarney, about eight kilometres from Cork Island. Now, that is interesting, but not as interesting to the legend that comes with it that states that, according to said legend, kissing the Blarney Stone 
endows the kisser with the gift of the gab, which of course is exactly mm. what the closer has. So how long the closer spends smooching this stone, I don't know. <laughs> She's very, very good at her job. Very good indeed. Season three, episode eight. This one's brilliant. I believe I actually saved this one for my one last thing in one of our episodes. In the episode, season three, episode eight, of course, not a different episode. Um, but basically, as J.D. Salinger, you will recall, at the start of this season, tells Princess Carolyn that he's leaving Vim Agency because he says he needs an agency that's at least nine stories. And basically, that is a nod to his nine stories, a uh, collection of short stories. But also, it comes back later on in the season when we find out that uh, Rabitowitz and uh, Vanessa Gecko work in a building. Their agency is housed in a building that is called Nine Stories, of oh, course. Yeah. We never find out if J.D. Salinger is actually working there or is on there as a client, but I just thought it's such a brilliant reference to call back. And this show, man, it's got layers. It's got nine stories worth of layers, Michael. <laughs> anyway, speaking of nine, let's go to season three, episode nine. And I, I can't do anything else other than just say to you, the thing from this episode that was the huge standout, of course, of course, what else was it going to be, is the song from In the Car that Princess Carolyn listens to oh, on the radio as she's driving away from the restaurant. Now, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm probably going to put some effects on my voice, so at least it sounds remotely good. Yes, come on. So we get the guy on the I radio. Been, I haven't been at a gig since, like, March this year. Come on. Oh, right, here we go. Give me that feeling back. She's driving away. She's all confused. She's sad because Bojack has just been a complete dick of a horse. <laughs> and the guy on the radio sings, Keep driving, keep driving, girl, don't turn that car around. Break your pattern of needing to fix other people. <laughs> just keep on driving away. Don't go back to the restaurant. Princess Carolyn, <laughs> just keep driving away. <laughs> Which is honestly a brilliant gag. This Princess Carolyn's face when when he says her name in the lyrics is just, uh, and of course she turns the car around. So I just didn't have the desired effect. Brilliant stuff. That absolutely brilliant. Season three, episode ten, though a little bit less singing and a little bit more quoting, Michael, because we get some incredible life-affirming wisdom in season three, episode 10, that will last for forever with some really, you know, commonplace sayings that we've all heard throughout our lives as human beings. They come in the form of Nana Peanut Butter's words of wisdom. <laughs> Let me just give you the two very common, totally not made up phrases that she comes up with that we've all said in life. Because, M Michael, what does Nana Peanut Butter always say about opportunities? She says... Always take every opportunity that comes your way because opportunities are like sneezes from God. And when God sneezes, you can't say, God bless you to God. So instead, you have to take the opportunity. I'm called, will you pass me that blanket? <laughs> and of course, that is only superseded by her quotes and fascinating insight on feelings, Michael, because I don't know if you know this, but uh, there's always time to talk about feelings because feelings are the ceilings of our hearts. And a leaky feeling ceiling leads to a blood of blood. And I'm called, Will you pass me that blanket? <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, like, and it rolls right off the tongue because you know you've lived that life. You know? It does. I mean, it's so, once you've heard it, you'll never forget it. That's mm -hmm. the thing. Yeah, I mean, you could probably just recite it to me right now, couldn't you? I could. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> I believe the podcast got cut there. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You've yeah, got sorry, some yeah, technical so, difficulties there. Yeah, the, it's a socially distanced thing. We'll just have That's to That's okay. Cut. I'll just carry on because it must be something on your end, which means you couldn't possibly speak out loud. Good, because I'm sick of hearing you. <laughs> uh, season three, episode 11, though. And um, this is also another wonderful one. I've cheated again. I have technically picked a one last thing for this one, but it's one I enjoyed so much. And 
it was me reaching that arm, but it, I think it works though. We get that wonderful bit throughout where Bojack and Sarah Lane are talking about buildings and he expresses how much he hates triangular buildings because he says triangle buildings are gauche as shit, Michael. <laughs> he doesn't like, doesn't like them at all. And we came to the conclusion he's not a fan of triangles. He's not mm. a fan of uh, triplets. He's not a fan of things that come in threes, whether they be triple threats, whether they be triangles, whether they be God knows what else. And it, throughout the show, we find that this comes back full circle because at the end of this episode, when he bumps into Penny, she is, of course, wearing the triangle necklace that she is wearing when Bojack, you know, when he first meets her. And obviously it ties into her, you know, all the nasty thoughts that are associated with Penny and Bojack and him probably burying all that in this subconscious because it's something he doesn't want to talk about. I think the two are connected. And I also think it's connected because of all the relationships that he has that are these weird little love triangles or triangles where he's trying to get attention from his parents, where he's trying to be split between Diana and Mr. Peanut Butter, where we split between Anna Sponacorbata and Princess Carolyn. We talked about them in depth in that episode. If you want to find them, season three, episode 11, go back and listen to that. But I just thought that was wonderful. I thought it was really great. And of course, as Adam Wilton pointed out, shout out to you, Adam Wilton, for this. We also got the three members of the Overtones who get knocked over by Bojack yeah. as he bumps into Penny, which just just kind of hammers at home, doesn't it? Something I've just thought about now. In um, is it? It's start spreading the news, isn't it? There, where you've highlighted that the art on the wall of the, is the horses that resemble the horses that we see at the end. Yes, are, sir. There, are there three horses? There are indeed three horses. So that's in why the he thing. wouldn't want to see that, isn't it? That's, that's why, why he wouldn't want to see those horses. And I, just a little I, before. I have a feeling that if anybody was to really sit through the season and really go over it with a fine-tooth comb, if only someone did that, Michael, eh? Um, <laughs> now that with the hindsight of this wonderful rule of three that extends further than usual, I think there might be more cases than that throughout this season, and I would not be surprised at all if they were all associated with potentially panic-filled or worrying or negative feelings that Bojack has. And finally, Michael, season three, episode 12. Season three? No wonder everything's gone so dark. It's season, season three. three, of course. Look at that, man. We didn't even look to have to look that hard, did we? <laughs> season three, episode 12. There's no convoluted long chat about this. This is just one that I really enjoy. Margot Martindale, Michael, is driving a boat towards another boat that is called Cartondale Cargo, which That's is classic. just, classic. it's so simple. <laughs> and yet it's so effective, much like this podcast sometimes, I think. <laughs> we don't try to go for the long run, but we do... I hit a home run. I've just completely made that up. I don't know what that means. That was completely nonsensical. Anyway. <laughs> that was a peanut butter non sequitur. That was it, it was. It really was. It was like peanut butter. Oh, God. Excellent stuff. We're tired. It's been a long week, but we're finally at the end of this. But it's not over. We're not over, of course. Because despite the fact we've been through the entire episode, top to bottom, and picked out all the horse and around bits and all the character bits, we do still have time. we still got time, even though it's the end of the season four. One last thing, and I swear to God, I'll shut up about this season forever. Michael, would you like to go first or second? I'll go first because mine's really sad, and I just oh. like to get it out of the way. Um, well, if it makes you feel any better, spoiler alert, mine's really sad too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, that, it was that kind of scene. Um, I'm going to go back to episode 11, um, which is something that nobody ever wants to say when they're talking about Bojack Horseman. But yeah, season three, uh, episode 11, of course, the tragic demise of Sarah Lynn. And something that I love because on the rewatch of this episode, I had those exact feelings, not of, oh my God, is this going to happen? But, oh my God, I remember how I felt when this was going to happen, which is that describing and kind of like putting you back in the place of how you felt when you watched the episode for the first time. 
they are in the minging, dingy motel, like laid out on the bed. It's an aerial shot of the two of them. We don't know at this point. They've not even turned the television on yet. Um, I don't believe anyway to see that the Oscars are on. So we don't even know how far time has jumped between Bojack's blackout. All we know that they're in a very bad way and very literally in a very bad place. Um, Bojack has opened his heart to Sarah Lynn uh, off the wrong end of this bender. And then Sarah Lynn doesn't respond. And in that moment, Bojack goes, Sarah Lynn, Sarah Lynn. And there's no response. And it is a red herring that she might have died. It has been this path of destruction. The two of them have been walking down only for her to come round and say that she just dozed off because she was bored by him opening up to her. Um, this is sort of referenced magnificently just minutes later when she does obviously sadly pass away uh, when he goes, Sarah Lynn, Sarah Lynn. And the fact that they've given you the gift of expecting that again, she will wake up and she will raise out of the shoulders. That sort of red herring death there made me feel, and I imagine had the same effect for plenty of other people watching, oh, thank God, at least they're not going to kill her. However this ends, thank God they're not going to kill her. And then right when that head's on the shoulder for the first time in front of all those stars, you're thinking, you cheeky bastards, you're doing this tease again. So you are actually at your most defenseless. You've been completely disarmed when she dies for real. Mm. That wouldn't happen without that like that false finish, as it were, earlier in the episode. Yeah. Something we observed that we didn't bring up in the podcast at the time because we were kind of taking other looks at this scene um, is that when they're lying on that bed, you can see Bojack, um, obviously you can see the full length of both of their bodies. And uh, Bojack has only got one shoe on. And like for Bojack, as it was for us, you can kind of spot that maybe he's waiting for the other shoe to drop. And when it finally does, it drops as Sarah Lynn drops dead. Um, I just thought that was a magnificent device as a way to, when you feel throughout the episode a certain anxiety that this could end very, very badly, mm. by kind of like pulling the tablecloth away from the whole death idea, you then no longer think about it. And that's when they hit you with it. They somehow maximise the impact of something that had to be as powerful as it was. I think so. And you've got a show that has probably got typically what you'd call a smart viewer who would probably be aware of, you know, TV tropes and be aware of storytelling. And, you know, you come to Bojack because you like the deeper meaning of quite a lot of these things. So you're probably on high alert thinking you're going to spot it all. And yet somehow they almost hit you with something so old school and so simple, like, and so obvious, again, mm. almost like putting that picture in the hotel room from the word go, they like give you the little fake out and you're like, oh, well, they've addressed that bit now. That elephant in the room has been addressed or the horse in the room has been addressed. <laughs> you don't have to worry. And sure enough, we did have to worry. Oh, mm. if only we knew how much we had to worry. And Michael, we've had a few sort of, I don't know, a few clues to suggest that this was going to happen. But in a brilliant sort of twist of fear, as it would happen, my uh, one last thing for the season comes in the episode just after. Mm. Uh, in a moment where Bojack is trying to just kind of get his head around the fact that Sarah Lynn is in fact dead. Um, but it speaks to, in season 12, in season 12, episode 12, it speaks to something that covers pretty much this whole season, where they amp it up to 11, I think we can all agree. Uh, Bojack is talking to Diane, and he basically says about him being poisoned. I've got the quote here. He says... I'm poison. I come from poison. I have poison inside me and I destroy everything I touch. That's my legacy. I have nothing to show for the life that I've lived and I have nobody in my life who's better off for having known me. And like that is usually true with Bojack. Like mm. Bojack will come into your life and turn it upside down and leave. And that's exactly what he did to Penny and Charlotte. That's exactly pretty much what he did to Diane who Let's be honest, if she never met Bojack, would she still just be having a nice little life somewhere? 
just with less fame and all the some maybe the money from the book, I guess. Yeah. But ultimately, this season we really get down to it, where Bojack is is just destructive. Literally everything he touches, even as far back if you go, if you want to go to the the factory, the taffy factory in season three, episode four, in a fish underwater, a fish out of water rather. He literally blows up an entire taffy <laughs> yeah. factory. It explodes. We never deal with the aftermath of that. There are workers inside there who presumably are now all dead. Most of which <laughs> also are like friends of, and it's the workplace of the seahorse that he's going to deliver the child to. Mm. And that seahorse is going to feed that kid and has no idea if he's going to work tomorrow or not. Never gets covered. Bojack just leaves. Completely disappears again. Kelsey, who he tries to spend the season reconnecting with, having previously already, she gets burned, not by him, but she gets burned by the, the Tower of Hollywood herself. He, ended, he ends up messing with her because of the whole mix-up with the agency stuff where Princess Carolyn is trying to get him a better deal. Kelsey wants him to sort of come in and do this real role, this one opportunity to do something that might have any meaning, and ultimately she gets burned. And we watch him systematically go through and cut ties and burn bridges with almost everybody who he's associated with. I just thought that the poison line, we've heard him in the past say before where he says um, like how he feels like he's got a hole in him and how anything of any good is just poured out of him and it's all out, it's gone. But this is kind of the reverse of that where he says he's full of poison and that's all he has to offer people. And it's just, it's just so tragic, man, because... Ultimately, we're coming off the back of Todd having told him that you can't just blame everything else and everyone else for the stuff that happens. It's you. You're responsible. And he has Bojack saying that the you of this is just pure poison. And I don't know. They really delve into that in season three. And I just it kind of hits you harder than ever, especially summarized mostly by Sarah Lynn's death. I'll tell you what I really like about that as well. Um, just sort of to put one last thing on your one last thing that use of poison and that use of the way Bojack you've referenced as well the hole that Bojack said it's as if he is almost believes that all of the bad things are controlled by other entities mm. like he is whilst taking responsibility abdicating all of it at the very same time um, it takes a certain responsibility and a certain ownership to say I am poison it takes another to suggest that that poison was not of your own doing. Yeah. And he's kind of still trying to do both there. Like, he hasn't drilled the hole in him where all the goodness leaked out. So the fact that the goodness leaked out, is that his fault? I think that's quite a unique way of both taking responsibility and then trying to cleverly shove it to one side. There's a certain manipulative quality to being able to speak of yourself in those terms because it's not real, is it? He's trying to, trying to like, bring, bring true an abstract concept rather than just maybe opening up to his own personal feelings. It's as if maybe blaming a, a god or a, a figure that you look up to, so like a, a divine power that has a greater control over you than you yourself. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's that way that he wants to just present it as this is a fact and there's nothing that anybody can do, yeah. me or otherwise, to change this one thing, which we know isn't true, but it, the, it is presented to us and you'd... Put it this way, the man would have a hell of a strong argument if he was going to make it, mm -hmm. I think, if he, if he drew up the list. And I go back to that season two, I think it was, episode one maybe even, where he has that phone call with uh, Beatrice and she says, you're Bojack Horseman and there's no cure for that. And, Whoa. I mean, the whole thing is connected. There's, 
there's probably a bunch of these quotes if you put them all next to each other it's all the same thing it's just yeah. it's like one long continuation <laughs> of the same point just mixed and muddled throughout the seasons to remind us that just in case you thought it was going to be a happy season you're wrong <laughs> you're so wrong this horse is sad this show is sad but it's bloody brilliant as well and we love it dearly and apparently so do all of our listeners Michael because as always, at the end of the season, we ask you to send us all of your questions to go with this season. Spoiler-free, of course, or as best as possibly we can for the people who might not have watched up this far or and beyond season three. And you have very kindly obliged us, as you always do. Michael, you are the man who tends to run the show with this. And we have a bunch of questions to answer, I do believe. Yeah, um, I'll start. I should point out that we're recording this bit of a behind-the-curtain stuff. We were recording this on Wednesday. If you are listening on Friday and you've got your question on Thursday, I do apologise that we've not read it out, but that is why we will try and maybe get to that on the app podcast last Twitter feed. We've talked all season about building up a community, and it's for reasons such as this. We've really loved the interaction throughout the season, and we especially love it now when we can kind of talk about some of the things that you might have found or answer some of the questions that you might have thought. Um I should just let it point out as well, if anybody is upset about the fact that they've missed out on that Thursday opportunity to, you know, as usual, post questions, it's all Michael Hamflit's fault. So just uh, <laughs> just tweet him at Michael Hamflit and tell him why you're frustrated that your question wasn't included. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Just start that tweet with at it's on Nicholas and say whatever <laughs> you like. Could be nice, could be nasty, just leave us five stars after. Um, I'm going to go first. I'm going to pose a question to you, if that's Good. okay, Nicholas. Um, Safe try. From Aaron Coleman, a regular engaged with the show. We're very grateful to have these, uh, Aaron. Um, first of all, he just wanted to note that in Fish Out of Water, uh, he spotted something that we thought we'd enjoy. The taffy factory uh, that Bojack blows up is a fresh water taffy factory, which is under the sea. Why would it be a fresh water <laughs> one instead of a salt water one when it is surrounded by salt water? Brilliant spot there, Coleman. Um but also, it's a question that he's asked before. He's dropped this one in every season. I think it's worthy of mentioning it again. He says, uh, favourite one line or sight gag of the season. His was the dog chasing the keys. Uh, of course, the uh, the valet parking keeps creating a delay by Bojack or Princess Carolyn throwing the car keys out. But uh, Nicholas, what was yours? Favourite one line or sight gag from season three? Well, there are so many. And obviously, as the man who has to do this on this show all the time, there are an absolute abundance to choose from. But I've gone for one that I know had both of us in stitches uh, because it was so fast, but so excellent in the way they did it. Uh, and it, it's all to do with Jimmy Fallon, Michael. Uh, <laughs> in the episode where we see Jimmy Fallon, you will remember, I, I forget the episode number at this point. It was... It's the one where Mr. Peanut Butter is chosen to be the, the guy to do the golden the Oscars announcement. Yes. So I guess it's it's you then that makes that episode. Um it's the Jimmy Fallon gag where we they they put in the teaser that he's gonna fall down the hole that is in the store Halloween in January, which we've seen yeah. many people fall victim to, including Andrew Garfield prior to this. <laughs> yeah. But Jimmy Fallon is so excited that he's seen that that he's seen the Halloween in January store that before he does that he wants to get a selfie of him outside. They get this down to a T, he's so wacky, so full of energy, and as he steps out on the road, he gets mowed down by a bus. Now, I'm not, <laughs> look, I'm not one to think that someone getting hit by a bus is a funny thing, right? But they have, in season three, they've developed an incredible knack for people getting hit by vehicles and it being hilarious, and this is no different. This had me in stitches. I know it had Michael Hamlet in stitches. So that, uh, Aaron Coleman, would be my choice, and thank you very much for your question. 
I've just got to add before we get to your first question to me. Um, <laughs> Aaron added as well. Lastly, I'm sure you'd be delighted to hear that uh, he now adds, what are you doing here to his daily vocabulary? <laughs> and he's added, and my girlfriend hates it. So <laughs> it's nice to know that we've sort of impacted people's lives. Hey, don't worry. We all know the drill here. It's nobody, <laughs> as, we've just, as we've talked about, guys, Bojack Horseman's poison. He's, you know, he poisons everything he touches. So that includes you. <laughs> but welcome to the show. Anyway, I do believe I've got questions for you now, haven't I, as well? We're going to take it in turns and do some back and forth. And this is a question from Connor Rowe. Thank you for your question, Connor. And this is for you, Michael Hamlet. He says, I've been re-watching the show because of you guys, and the Christmas special was something you guys pointed me towards, in brackets, also the episode where I got my Hollywood star. Look at you. Someone must have had to make that one up for you, mustn't they? <laughs> uh, he says, the question is, have you gotten anyone, in brackets, friends, family, into the show, and what do you tell them thanks? I guess maybe he's trying to recruit a few of his own in this situation. Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that um, I've kind of mentioned it to my wife over and over again because I happen to watch it separately uh, rather than typically we'd watch TV shows together. And she's given it a start, but we have put that on pause because I'm going to watch it back through with her. But main answer to that is no. And thus I've started a podcast with Adam Nicholas. <laughs> um, this was at the root of us starting Podcast Horseman. Um, I was put on to Bojack Horseman after four years brushing it off as another kind of like throwaway animated TV show. And it was only uh, with a conversation with uh, an ex-colleague of ours, James Hunt, um, who used to work at What Culture. He was our television editor. We were having a conversation about the, uh, the Netflix show Glow, which I sort of suggested was my favourite show on Netflix. He went with Bojack Horseman. I was taken aback by that. And he said, no, you really, really have to. I think, think that I then spoke with you. You said, yep, you ain't wrong. Give this a go. And that was me caught up in no time. Um, I have since passed this on, and uh, I like to think that she'll appreciate the shout-out because she tells me she's listening, but this will be a nice test of it. I've got, a friend, I've got a friend called Hannah, who we often sort of bat back and forth our telly takes, and there's been this established one because we're both a bit old and long in the tooth now. There's both been this established one that when it comes to television, there is The Wire, there are The Sopranos, and there is everything else. I told her that Bojack Horseman is the first show to penetrate that group in the 10 years, the 10, 15 years since The Wire finished. That was convincing enough for her to kind of have to give this a go. And I am buzzing to announce that she has now confirmed that to be the case, to the point where we'll often debate which is number one, two, and three on the podium, as long as those are the three shows on the podium. And it is coming to the point where I think Bojack might be moving up from third to second to first on various rewatches of these shows. Um, it's something I feel quite strongly about because I'm a nerd on these sort of things, and it's just nice to have at least one person believe the same way. I hope we get plenty more from this podcast as the years go. Absolutely, and just quickly to give shout-outs to uh, one, to James Hunt, of course, who is, a, you will find over at Screen Rant if you ever want to read any of his stuff, a fantastic writer. He was brilliant when he was at What Culture. He's doing some great stuff over at Screen Rant. He and I had many conversations about this when Michael Hamlet hadn't quite watched it. If we could have a third person on this podcast, I Absolutely. assure you, it would be him. But on top of that, I can I can tell you that we also technically kind of got Gareth Morgan of What Culture into Bojack yes. Horseman as well, who was on his way to start watching it, but we nudged him in the right direction. And allegedly, he also listens to this podcast, as does apparently so is Zoe Miss Kelly, who is also of whatculture.com. There you go. So anyway, 
what we got next? We got more questions from you? Yes, I've got a, a question from uh, Benjamin Negreta Jr. I apologize for butchered your surname there, Benjamin. He said, if you could give a gold, silver, a bronze, or any recognition for guest voice actors in the show, who would they be? Uh, he says, this show has so many that come and make their mark, uh, and often given detailed storylines that go unnoticed, brackets, probably because Bojack himself is already a powerhouse. Um, a great point there. Obviously, it's easy for the the main voice cast to get overlooked. But who are those bronze, silver, gold? Are just some of the best uh, vocal performances that dip in and out away from the main cast. Well, I think it would be extremely reckless of me, having just watched an entire season that tells me that material gains are useless and not <laughs> they don't they don't fulfil you in any way, shape, or form. So I'm not going to give anybody gold, silver, and bronze. But I will give you three excellent voice guests in this. Uh, the three best. So certainly the three that came to mind for me, mm. firstly. Uh, the one is a brilliant, brilliant performance from Jeffrey Wright as Cuddly Whiskers. What a voice. That man, honestly, could if he was selling everything in the world, if there's ever a product that needs to be sold, put Jeffrey Wright's voice in it. It's incredible. But as Cuddly Whiskers, Cuddly Whiskers, Bojack Horseman, he's absolutely sensational and genuinely I just love everything he does in this show. I think he might have even voiced a couple of more minor characters in the season as well, as they tend to get them to. Brilliant stuff from him. On top of that, I also had uh, the voice of the Closer, who is, of course, Candice Bergen, who the Closer episode is a low-key favourite of mine from this season because it's just it's just such a well... It's, it's a clever little narrative device that they use, but her whole being is just so convincing. And I actually feel calm and relaxed. And, like, I want <laughs> I would like to have the gazette that Bojack's trying to get rid of because she convinces me it's worthwhile and she hammers home the importance of connections with people and stuff like that. Brilliant performance from her. But, come on, come on. If there's going to be a voice guest performance in this season that we have to salute, because it's probably... The last chance we're going to get, Michael, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, it comes, of course, from Kristen Schaal, the brilliant yeah. voiced, uh, or the brilliant voice of Sarah Lynn, who is exceptional throughout her stint in Bojack Horseman, and this season is no different. We get so many different levels of Sarah Lynn throughout this show. Uh, in season three in particular, she delves into a number of them, but genuinely, oh, man, will there ever be a harder-hitting moment than when she tells you she wants to be an architect and then... Mm. Yeah, man, it's 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 sensational stuff. I love I love Kristen's performance in this, and it it can't go overlooked. You hit upon something there, you know, because in season three we get every single age of Sarah Lynn. So we get her as the child star in the flashbacks. We get her as the pop star in the two thousand seven flashbacks. We get her as the clean and sober Sarah Lynn, followed yeah. by the drunk and off the wagon one, the one that is kind of ready to end it all, the one that suddenly wants to fix it all when she sees she's won an Oscar. It's it, you're right. It's the whole lot. I think probably even in episode 11, it's the whole lot. But yeah. certainly over the course of the season, we get every single version of Sarah Lynn. Um, and she just adds a little spark to every bit of that voice. It's it's yeah. quite emotional stuff, I think. From an oh. actor that we know is so good at the big comedic roles. We've seen her in uh, Bob's Burgers and Flight of the Concords and Wilfred and things like that, where she like just knows how to project this. Just fo- She's a funny bones type of she actor. Is. Yeah, the uh, the seriousness she puts into Sarah Lynn at all stages of her life is fantastic. Yeah, and it really she managed to get that tragedy that comes with it as well, especially when the times when you think where I think it's episode twelve at the very beginning where we get that oh, she's yeah. the, the child star and she's kind of saying I'm just about to fall off the deep end. I'm like, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> and you're like, okay, this is terrible, but really well, like really well voiced character work from all three of those and including all the other guest stars that we've had throughout that season. But those three are probably the standouts 
for me. Right, Michael, next question for you comes mm. from Edward Shiraz Hans, a regular uh, in these in this department. I think, like mm. most of the people are who are delivering, delivering us these questions, he says, Good day, gents. Great reviewing this season. Who does your heart break most for? Sarah Lynn or Penny or Princess Carolyn? All three of them are women and they have had the roughest rides to this point. Thank you, gentlemen. He says, Michael Alfred, over to you, I guess. Um, thank you, Edward. Uh, Shiraz Hans, for your constant support uh, and your kind words. I'm going to go with Penny from that lot. Um, she, fe- she features least of all, obviously. We um, we see the least of her out of all of these characters and have done throughout the history of uh, the show. But I think what's saddest about Penny, uh, well, two things, really. Number one is that she's had the least interaction of any of those characters, or indeed any of the significant women in Bojack Horseman, with Bojack himself, um, and yet contextually has maybe been impacted the most. At mm. such a young age, things hurt more. You develop some of your deepest wounds and deepest scars in your youth, and Bojack has laid them on in a very, very thick at such a young age. And what's worse, and again, this is to speak to Bojack Horseman, the quality of the show, um, we are led to believe, if only for the briefest of moments, that somehow the incredible life-altering damage he very nearly did in New Mexico has not been quite as awful as we all might have thought. Um, that It's been the ghost at the feast of season three, is what has gone on with Penny since Bojack ran away from that situation. And it appears that somehow, through her own intestinal fortitude and personal growth, she has found a way to power through it, only to be dragged right back in uh, uh, just the, the sight of him for a split second is enough and that's such a heartbreaking and brilliant scene I should point out um, but it does show you that the the wound has cut incredibly deep in Penny because she might have think she's managed to put plaster on it after plaster after plaster after plaster and go off to college and live her life but it doesn't take much for Bojack to tear all those plasters off in one go the way that they have Penny catching sight of him and all of that assuredness that she seems to carry into her young adulthood has been stripped away. She is a child again. The first thing she seems to do is panic that he's even there before reminding him of her age at the time, which speaks to this idea that in the time that they've been separate, she stopped and thought about the meaning of consent um, and it not being about legal age. About It's so much more than that. It's about emotional intelligence and things like that. These are things that obviously Bojack has impacted Princess Carolyn in different ways. Um, and sorry, who was the, the other woman he specifically... It wasn't Diane, Edward Shrazan said, was it here? There was a, uh, No, it was Princess Carolyn, it was Sarah Lynn, and it was Penny. So Sarah Lynn and Princess Carolyn, again, at various different ages, have had these interactions with Bojack. But in the meantime, they've been given ways to try and live their lives separate from him. They've had other things going on that might have been able to help them escape. Penny hasn't been afforded that other than one year at college that she thought was going really well until she was... Like until he walked back into her life again. Um, I don't know if it's a little bit of something to do with a parent. I don't know if, like, because I'm a parent and I often watch these shows that hit hard through the prism of what it must be like to be a parent of somebody that's gone through a trauma like that and seeing effectively a child or a young person have to relive a trauma through the recklessness of an adult, I think is particularly cruel. Yeah, and the fact that we do get that revisited just through Bojack's selfishness because he should have just, his cross to bear or the way that he deals with that is that he has to live with it forever and leave her alone. That's Mm. how he gets, that's how he makes his amends. But of course he doesn't do that because he's Bojack Horseman and he's a piece of shit, Michael. (laughs) 
Um, I just want to say at this point, by the way, we have had a couple of comments from uh, Gracie, who loved the unsubtle digs at SeaWorld in the uh, episode three opening. That just kills her every time. That, of course, relates to uh, Goober's sideline in, uh, obviously, uh, part SeaWorld, part whale strip club and the, the terrible mistreatment of those animals and the way that Bojack skewers that. And Chris Mora, who, as well as the question I'm about to ask you, was given us his list of order of episodes, um, a very what culture adjacent best to worst ranking that you can go and check out in the replies to our uh, call out for questions. And Chris asks, he says, inspired by fish out of water, um, what location that was, wrap your head around this, that was never mentioned or shown in the entire series, real or fictional, would you like a standalone episode for and with which characters? For example, he gives Mr. Peanut Butter and Todd in a real world island nublar. Um, I like the idea of Todd running away from dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. So yes, uh, I guess if you could lift characters away and put them in another place, what would you go for? Well, you see, I've I've come up with something really good for this, actually. Okay. I was, because obviously, when you say this to me, you've just given me all of the possibilities in the whole wide universe. And I <laughs> thought, that was probably, that's too much, man, is what I thought. Oh, so, yes. what I decided to do was focus it back home and something you and I have mentioned in the past, and something we even mentioned, Michael, on this exact episode of the podcast is that I would very much, very, very much like to see an episode of the Bojack Horseman show. That's mm. what I would like to see. So in terms of a location, I want to see through the guise of a, the one episode of the Bojack Horseman show. And of course, that would include Bojack and any of the friends, the many weird celebrity guests you might get <laughs> and anything of that nature on the Bojack Horseman show. What does that, what does it even look like, Michael? I just, my head has played this scenario so many times. Nine <laughs> times out of 10, it ends up looking like Cuddly Whiskers house. I'll be honest. But it's obviously not that. But I tell you what, I would love to see it. And just for the moment where he bursts in and says, Where's it, bitches? <laughs> and then drops trow and takes a steam and dump on an episode, on an episode, on a VHS copy, shall I say, of horsing around. That's my answer. And I know it might not be the outside of the box thing that you're looking for, but I actually think that's a pretty good answer. Seconded. I would love that. Second. Yeah, I think it will be. Hard seconded. Very good indeed. We always talk about that one episode we wish we got. Mm. Um, there are many spin-offs you could do, by the way, in this show, and I'm sure many characters will have them. Let's revisit them later, because I do think there'll be more to talk about once we finish this podcast, probably. Yes. Okay, next question for you, then. Uh, I believe it's from Eli Garcia, a regular contributor on the social media. Hello, Eli. Thank you for your question, as always. Always getting in depth with the podcast horseman and the episodes of Bojack Horseman, which is, of course, the whole reason we do this in the first place. Eli says, when Bojack speaks to the child star, she says her parents are proud and there for her. Although Hollywood was still gross, is she supposed to represent a change of tide? Child actors lately have had far less tragic stories. Maybe she would be okay or at least not like Sarah Lynn. And as an additional bonus question here, this show is so detail-oriented, and I love it so far. Can you think of any gag or character or thing that was not important? Just a throwaway, no payoff, just something that hangs. So I will turn it over to you, Mr. Hamlet. Uh, second question first. Uh, no is the short answer to that. <laughs> um, I don't, and that's not to sort of give this show any more of a perfection complex than we already do in our weekly reviews. Um, but I just don't think this is the show that wastes anything. Not only is it incredibly economical with how it manages the gag and the drag, but as we've sort of alluded to with our horsing around segment on the podcast and the various characters it often revisits, even if characters don't form part of a bigger gag or part of a bigger story, 
nothing is done without purpose on this show. It is, to go back to something I said before, it's kind of something I add to the sales pitch of why I can include it with those elite shows. And you can pick your favorite elite shows that you consider Bojack alongside with them. It's just, I think it's virtually flawless in that department, actually. And nothing you see is, is there's no wasted motion in Bojack Horseman. So no to that. In terms of the, um, the maybe them trying to represent the changes in Hollywood through that like quite nice and wholesome interaction that Bojack has with that young girl, I think partially, but... And it always comes with a book because it's always Bojack Horseman. Yes, it is nice that her parents are there to support her. It's still a shame that she has no friends there. I think the heavy implication there is that she has no friends at all because she's been chasing a Hollywood dream. And with that comes the reality that do kids chase Hollywood dreams or do parents chase those dreams for their children? The parents may no longer be on set uh, sleeping with Bojack Horseman, but they may instead be in the audience watching from a safer distance. Um, I think one episode ago, we saw the ugliest face of Hollywood, and that was when Bojack was stroking who he thought to be Todd, but was in fact a young boy who was with two parents who wondered out loud if this would be their big break. Twice, as oh. a 50-year-old actor was touching their son inappropriately. So while, yes, I think it's going in the right direction, I think the elevator taking it in the direction is incredibly, incredibly slow and still likely to malfunction along the way. And break down and go all the way to the basement <laughs> very, very quickly. Yes, I think you've answered that quite well, actually, if I do say so myself. Um, I have another one for you on female representation in Bojack Horseman. Of course, it remains a, a fantastic topic, and they always address it brilliantly. Um, this is from Dad Attitude. I always love that Twitter, uh, Twitter name. Uh, who would you say the most empowering female character is? Princess Carolyn's crown has started to slip, and Diane's had some questionable actions. Sextina Aquafina, is she in with the shout? And he ends with brap brap pew pew. Yeah, um, empowering female characters in season three. Where do you stand? I stand corrected most likely um, <laughs> but yeah you're right I think we've been through this uh, numerous times it's very deliberate this I think you can easily say that they give every female character uh, that shade of grey don't they so well Carolyn is like the strong female woman that we see in Hollywood who's actually going out and making making stuff happen and getting stuff done she does ultimately get consumed by the tarn and all of the madness that comes with it and the power that comes with it it actually ends up corrupting her to a certain extent Diane, again, also finds herself a victim of Hollywood and kind of just, it, she's not, she's, she's, let's be honest, she's scarred from all the really tough stuff she's had to deal with, in which she even verbalises it during a chat with Bojack. We know that she's not where she wants to be and she's trying to get back and she's on the way, but she hasn't quite been the, that voice of the truth and the, that we usually refer to as because she hasn't really been in a position to be so. Mm. Anna Sponikova has another character who comes to mind and she, is again a, a woman in a in a strong position of power in Hollywood, but is almost the exact antibody of empowering people. She, <laughs> I think back to the way she absolutely crippled uh, Bradley Hitler Smith when he wanted to be part of that world, and she just shot him down. Eventually, telling him that Bojack didn't want to do his show. There's a lot of people who don't have it, unfortunately, this time round. I think that's very deliberate. But a couple of candidates, you would say, sixteen Aquafina. That is probably a, a shout. Although it's a shout because of what she ends up achieving, not necessarily because of what she herself thinks. She's just interested in making money and growing a following. And, yeah. you know, she's unaware of this stuff until Diane educates her. But as we've said, in a world as complex and most messed up as Hollywood, if the end goal is that she achieves something good, then it, maybe it doesn't matter about the 
the reasoning behind it as long as the end goal is a prosperous one for the good guys, I guess. <laughs> well, actually, the one that I have picked out in this, the one who I think is an empowering female character, is the closer, who we've mentioned a couple of times already. Yeah. The closer, brilliantly voiced, as I mentioned, by Candice Bergen. Her whole literal role is to empower. That's what she does. Like, she... Uh, does she empower females on top of males? Who knows? But she does empower our favourite messed up sad horse throughout that entire episode on the phone. And that's kind of her whole purpose is to... She talks to Bojack when he needs someone to talk to. Yes, the gag is we're talking about the newspaper, but ultimately it's not about the newspaper. It's about her trying to get to the, the root of what Bojack's problems are, which nobody gets a, nobody really gets a chance to properly do with him because he doesn't really talk to many people. But the closer's whole role is to be excellent at her job and ultimately get Bojack to keep the paper, but to make his life better and to empower him to feel more comfortable and more at home and maybe actually talk about the things that he never wants to talk about. And brilliantly, of course, she is one of the rare women who is the, like, she's in charge of the whole company. She's at the top. She's, mm, yeah. She's like, I mean, how, how often do we see it where we get a woman at the top of the company who's allowed to be successful without any, like, fall? Like, Princess Carolyn has a fall. Anna Spanakopita has a fall. Princess Princess Gecko. Vanessa Gecko has a <laughs> fall to a certain extent. I think that the, the short answer is I'm going with the closer because I feel like she brings a positive energy to Bojack Horseman in the end. We talked about this a little bit um, in terms of female role models before this podcast and on other ones as well. The closer has an advantage over every female in this show because we only see her, uh, as you say, at the height of her profession in her workplace. Um, there's that idealised view that we all have of celebrities or people we don't know or whomever that we put on pedestals that they are just the people that we see. And that is the case in the closer. We don't see the closer going home to who knows what to a marriage she's unhappy in, like Diane, yeah. to um, a, a bottle of wine because she's sad that she never had a family like Princess Carolyn or whatever. You know, you pick that these these things that women can't have because they are trying in a in a game that is rigged against them. That is never, ever touched upon with a closer. You only get the perfect vision of her, whereas every other character, you are given the reality of their plight. Even Anna Spawn is wanting to maintain that power over Bojack by him never seeing that she yeah. lives in an or how dare she live in just an ordinary flat yeah. she believes that if he sees that that's going to strip the dynamic of power that she's managed to establish with him yeah and the brilliant thing we have there with when she opens that little bag of mac and cheese and it like blows up on her jumper mm. and it's just like it's the most sort of disarming thing about her to the point where Bojack even says isn't it such a shame when you see people it, for who they really are it ruins yeah. it which is and I guess that's true of the closer. We don't get to see her shades of grey, and that's why she will remain the empowered female character of my choice. Right, your next question then. Let's have a look here. This one comes from Adam Blair, or Adam Wilton, as I always call him on here, and I've congratulated him and thanked him a couple of times for giving us some nods throughout this show. Um, so whichever one it is, Mr Blair or Mr <laughs> Wilton, he has your question for you, Michael. He says... I think this is probably the best season yet. So many episode callbacks. You can really tell RBW and his team meticulously plotted this season. Couldn't agree more. My question is, with all of the recurring sub-characters in this show, who is your favourite so far? He says, mine is Vincent Adultman. I mean, Vincent Adultman's amazing. Um, we've not had enough from him in season three. 
Um, he's probably just very busy with his business. Uh, but I'll try and keep it to season three, as this is indeed a season okay. three recap. There was a there was a few that sprung to mind. I to echo something you said before. I love, I love, love, love Sextina Aquafina. I love saying a name, let alone the character herself. However, I love the outcomes of a Sextina Aquafina episode rather than the methods, mm. um, which is something that you can take from the character. She gets to win, which I think is important for a young female in an industry that doesn't favour young females. But yeah. the manner in which she gets to win is often not necessarily the, the nicest or the most positive. Um, I also think Emily is a fabulous recurring character mm. in the series. She asks very, very big and important questions of Todd and Bojack's relationship. And I would argue that it's Emily, a female, that moves that relationship forward to the betterment for the betterment of Todd's life, certainly, mm. that they weren't doing with each other. Um, whether that was out of stubbornness, whether that was not wanting to address the the main topics of conversation that need to be had. Obviously, it comes from the rather unfortunate set of circumstances that result in her sleeping with Bojack. But I think the show handles that really well in the fact that nobody has necessarily done anything wrong, yet there are things to be discussed off the back of it. And Emily makes that so, rather than stuff that would have just been left to fester between the two. And obviously, she has maybe opened up something in Todd that he now wants to explore going forward, which I think is fantastic as well. But I have to lean on a character that one of our favourite characters leans on, uh, Judah. Judah is a common influence on Princess Carolyn to such an extent that he is a common influence on me. Um, I watch an episode of BoJack Horseman at the moment, currently with a notepad in front of me, and I'm taking notes and I'm having to pause and go back, and I just don't like to miss certain key details. And yet Judah comes on screen and I just stop and I watch. And for a second, and it's typically chaos, he typically walks into chaos mm. and he has this meditative effect on everything. He mellows Princess Carolyn because he is so organized, because he has the answers to a question. Um, brilliantly, he is mocked for being too literal. He doesn't pick up on people making jokes or wordplay. He's mocked ultimately for his processes. Uh, and I like people that are true to their processes mm. because I like to be able to trust processes and whenever people are ribbed and mocked for those processes I believe it's the people doing the ribbing and the mocking that are in the wrong because I much prefer that quality of somebody being thorough and somebody being detailed and somebody being informed I don't like to see and we're greeted with this constantly on Bojack people just faking it I want sincerity yeah. and Judah overspills with it he is a wonderful calm and presence in this show and indeed in my experience of watching it yeah couldn't agree more i don't really think i can say anything better than what you've just said there the man, <laughs> the man is outstanding whether or not he's literal or not who cares because he's a great addition and it was so nice to see him back after that yeah. little stint where carolyn had obviously taken a break from the world of the busy world of hollywood and being an agent long may it continue judah is a low-key mvp in this show there is a nice comparison as well. We've touched on how there may be things about Ralph Stilton. As it were, kind of a little bit protective of Princess Carolyn. There are a few things about Ralph Stilton that can that kind of concern us a little bit. He is set up as quite a wholesome character in her life, a wholesome male figure. Mm. And yet, the second that Judah walks back into her life, there is no comparison between who is the more wholesome figure in Princess Carolyn's day between Judah and Ralph Stilton because he offers her nothing but open and honest support rather than with that little... A little bit of unease that Ralph has. I think there's there's a there's a, a, a distance between the two of them that is quite subtle and it's not laboured upon, but it's very clear once you break it down as we try to in these episodes. 
I think it's maybe the difference in that line between someone wanting what's best for Princess Carolyn mm-hmm. and someone wanting what's best for Princess Carolyn, as long as it's best for him too. What he thinks is best what for him. What he thinks yeah. is best, which is not the lens to be looking through. And Jude is such a pro that he set her up with him in the first place. Of course, of course yeah, he's he... so great. And let's be honest, as this show has taught us nothing, Michael, it's that men are the date waste. <laughs> and, on, <laughs> and on that high note, Judah's the exception, I should point out, I think. Judah mm. is... Judah is the one who can probably the only person on this universe who can hold up the sign and say, not like the others, Michael. I think, <laughs> I think we can all agree. Um, and I have one last question from the, well, presumably very nice Nathaniel Arnold. Maybe not all men are terrible. Thank you, Nathaniel. You always get in touch with us. You always leave us nice things, so we don't think you're the dirt worst at all. Uh, last question of the season three recap is to you, Adam Nicholas. Nathaniel says, with three seasons down and three to go, Bojack the show is continuously getting better, while Bojack the horseman is continually getting worse. What do you think of the view from halfway down? Interesting. Very, very interesting. That's a good a good observation as well, that the, the fact that the show is getting better, but Bojack is actually getting worse as we go along. I think the view at the moment is one where I am, I'm, I've kind of learned at this point that everything Bojack does is gonna be worse as the like the further it goes on. Like the impression I get is just that I want Bojack to learn. That's what I'm, right now I'm watching the show because we're all aspiring to eventually watch a show where Bojack Horseman might find the other side of that curve, that bell curve, where he might just figure it out and start mm. doing better. Do you know what I mean? And how many times are we greeted with an option? An option. We're greeted with a moment where Bojack has an option where he can make a choice for the better or a choice for the worse, and he keeps finding a way to pick the one that's for the worse. And usually it's because he's being selfish, which, again, is the message that's going on throughout the show, you big, thick, dumb horse. You <laughs> stupid head. Um, the view is, I love this show so much, and obviously at this point you are in, when it's season three, you are in for the long haul, regardless of whether all of the wheels fall off the horse and wagon. At this point, you are in in terms of Bojack, though, you can't help it. There's that big feeling of dread that always comes with him, and it's only got worse with season three to the point where, as you said, we normally kind of have an eye on what's next for Bojack. And right now, we have nothing other than Bojack feeling like he might have seen something that's awoken and something inside of him from all those horses he's seen, but ultimately, not being a great season to be Bojack Horseman. No. Um... <laughs> and yet, to echo the question, not been a much better one to be a fan of no, Bojack Horseman. No. Thank you very much, Horse, for all your terrible calls, because <laughs> we've got to enjoy watching every single one of them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think we're just about there, Michael. Is that right? Yeah, there. Shall we, had all shall of our questions. brave season four? Do you think should we brave it? Dare we? we? I, I think we probably should. I want to find out what happens to this horse. Mm. But so truth be told, there will, of course, as you mentioned, be no star. For this episode because we will not be getting those but as always we will be resuming these stars on the hollywood talk of fame next season season four and you have got a new way you're going to do this i believe you mentioned at the start would you like to reiterate that before we disappear yes to have a brand spanking new way for you to get a start on the hollywood talk of fame it kind of resembles how you did it in season one and season two. If you leave us a little bit of feedback with a five-star review, we'll be very, very grateful. No, all seriousness aside, uh, this Twitter thing, this idea of season three was obviously to grow the community, to grow the conversation, to have more people talking themselves horse about talking horse. And it's worked, truth be told. It's been fantastic. Um, we found ourselves appearing on 
podcast charts, our listener figures have increased slightly. The conversation has been there every single week, which we love. So we really would love you to keep going on with the retweets in season four and just the general sharing engagement on Twitter. But for season four, we will be going back to the reviews. We want to scare those no good tech bros at Apple with all their five star reviews that they're getting popping in. Um, so if you want to next season, get yourself a start on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Leave us a review. Could be nasty, could be nice. Just chuck five stars in there in a few little words. You'll get it read out. You'll get a name check. You'll get a star. And we'll hopefully get flung up the charts. Excellent stuff. Yes, as Michael said, just to reiterate, please do keep retweeting and quote tweeting the uh, the uh, weekly release as you have been doing. It's been great to see the interaction, and it has genuinely like, helped more people to find the show. And we yeah. we keep finding people who found the show from means that can't just be through listening from what culture, which is yes. nice. That's become noticeable, which is good. And thank you very much to everyone who's done that. But in the spirit of that. If you would indeed like to follow this podcast, you can do just that on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Or if you'd really like to, you can follow either of your hosts on Twitter. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can uh, listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you'd like to. We'd love you to subscribe. You can listen on Spotify where we'd love you to follow. You can listen on Acast where we'd love you to subscribe. You can listen on Amazon or wherever the hell it is that you get your podcasts from. You can listen to us on there. We're pretty much everywhere we think. It's been three seasons. If we're not, are they even a worthwhile podcast carrier? I wouldn't suggest so. Find a different one. Find Podcast Horseman will be there with a lovely, nice, colourful cover image. Um, if you want to listen to the episode on Twitter, you can find that upload, as Adam Nicholas mentioned. Every Friday Friday, a new episode goes up. It's the ACAST link embedded in the tweet. And as I've suggested, as we're going back to the stars in season four, if you want to leave us a five-star review, that would be lovely too. Wonderful stuff. So, with that said, Michael, we're heading to season four. Oof. Season four, episode one. Would you like a Netflix synopsis before yes, we go? Yes, please. Go on, then. Well, you can't have one. Tough shit. That's the end. Of- <laughs> have a nice day, everybody. Have a great weekend. <laughs> No, only kidding. We have got the Netflix synopsis for season four, episode one of Bojack Horseman, and it will be a podcast horseman as well. How very exciting. It's called See Mr. Peanut Butter Run. Mr. Peanut Butter's campaign to recall the governor of California culminates in a high-stakes ski race. Meanwhile, <laughs> Bojack is nowhere to be found. That all sounds very intriguing indeed god i'm looking at some of the thumbnails and titles for other episodes it's gonna be another season of fun times for everyone involved but if you want to find out what happens of course as always you'll have to tune in next time on podcast horseman until then i have been adam nicholas i've been michael hamflet and this has been podcast horseman 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.